Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Growing up with three boys in the house, we often chased one bad idea with another. It was just one stretch, one long stretch of bad ideas and bad doings and cover-ups and lies. (laughs) We got into so much mischief that I could write books and books about the McGee Boy adventures. When we lived in Amarillo, Texas, we lived in in a kind of 70s-styled, 80s-styled, I guess 80s-styled interior home. It was kind of that um, Brady Bunch meets uh, um, E.T. kind of interior house. Some of you went right to that and you know exactly what I mean. So we had a staircase, it was a two-story, and we had a staircase that had no railing on it and the stairs just floated, right? Or at least that's what it looked like, the stairs floated which was really a beautiful design and really cool. And, and if I had two stories in my house nowadays and I went for that modern side, I'd be all about that. But here's what was great about it. You could get a big blanket, thick blanket, and you could get your brothers on said blanket and you could ride down the stairs. And the stairs went right into a split brick foyer. So you had the momentum coming down these stairs, boom, 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 and then you would hit, the, you would hit that, that split brick, and you just scoot right on through to the carpet, and then you'd get up and run and do it again. It was beautiful. It was a great idea. But being the instigator that I was, I was like, okay, that was fun, but that kind of made me sore. So I think, Kelly, that you ought to get that mattress off your bed, and I think you need to take the covers off of it, And I think you need to test to see, because you're the oldest brother, if we can ride down the stairs on your mattress. Because we had twin mattresses. So Kelly gets the twin mattress and gets up on there, and he's like, are you sure about this? I'm like, 100%. You need to try this. So he gets on that mattress, and down he goes, whoom. And it wasn't boom, 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 boom. It was like speed. It was bobsledding. We were bobsledding on a mattress down floating stairs in our 70s, 80s styled home. Hit the split brick, and this time you didn't just stop at the carpet, you carried in and you hit the side of the sofa. Sorry, Mom. You hit the side of the sofa. It was a beautiful idea. It was one of my best ideas. And then we decided to see how many people we could fit on said mattress going down said stairs. And we got all three boys on, and that was awesome. Now, Will, at the time, was like a toddler. So he was clinging on to it, and he thought it was amazing because, I mean, he didn't know better. And we didn't know better either, Mom. We would have friends over, and we would get like, so Kelly would have someone spend the night. I would have, we'd have like five kids on that thing. Going to, my parents never knew this, right? They never knew this. And we would get on that mattress, five kids, whoo, 
So one bad idea after another, it just got worse and worse and worse. It started with just sliding down the stairs to sliding on a blanket to getting all the brothers on a blanket to getting Kelly on his mattress to getting all the brothers on the mattress. Now we got half the neighborhood sliding down our stairs on a mattress yelling, yeah, hitting the side of the sofa, except one day we didn't. One day we steered left. Now, because there was no such thing as an open floor plan during that time, you had this massive monstrosity of a brick wall that on one side was our fireplace and on the other side, and it was open on both sides. The foyer was on one side, you just whoom right through it. And on, the, on this side, where the stairs, was our china cabinet and buffet because that was the dining area. So every other bobsledding adventure we did on this thing, we went right by the china cabinet or the, the buffet in the china cabinet and straight into the den, uh, the den. Never, never hit it. But this time, maybe it was because we had so many kids on it. Maybe it was because I was in front and I wanted to see what would happen if we could steer and kind of spin out, you know, like the big wheel spin out. Anybody ever big wheel spin out? If you've not big wheel spun out, you have not lived. Let me just tell you. So it's kind of like that spin out. So I'm up front. I'm like, hey, we got some momentum. It'd be really cool if we could spin this mattress in the foyer and then face the stairs as we came to a stop. Except we didn't. One bad idea after another. We hit the buffet. The buffet on which a plate was, a plate that my mom loved that was passed down, a plate that ended up shattered, and a plate that I had an idea to fix. One bad idea after another. We gather all the pieces together, and we're in there with the glue. I don't know where we got the glue. I don't even know what kind of glue it was. But we glued that thing back together, and it took hours, I think. I mean, it was meticulous. And we finished, and we were like, oh, yeah. Man, this is awesome. She'll never know. <laughs> and it, beads of glue pouring out all over it. And we put the plate back up there, and we think, okay, she'll never know what happened. Hastily put the mattress up. Okay, guys, no more bobsledding down the stairs at our house. That's done. Uh, you know, someone's going to get hurt or a plate. And so that was done with. But, but then the worst idea of all happened. Mom shows up and sees the plate. And she's like, what's up, what's up with the plate? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about think it looks great. What's wrong with the plate? Glue. And it was, and then the glue had even turned, even that day had turned into a, like a different color. Like you could see when we put it on from when it, when it said it was a different color. Like you could see the lines all through it. And it wasn't like, what do they do now uh, where they put the gold in between the broken? It wasn't anything beautiful like that. It was just this nasty glued together plate. And the worst decision of all is that Kelly lied about it. <laughs> Actually, we all lied about it. 
It was Will's fault, Mom. Even though he was a toddler, I promise. It was that kind of thing. We lied about it. As a kid, it was easy to get into trouble and to, face, and, and to chase one bad idea with another so that we wouldn't face punishment. To chase one bad idea with another, get in more trouble, and then lie about it. But here's the thing that I have found. That's not just for elementary age kids. We all do it. We all chase one bad idea after another. And we make excuses as we go. And sometimes we lie about it. And I'm not talking about we lie to our parents about it. We lie to ourselves about it. Or we lie to God about it. Oh God, this really isn't a big deal. Today we're going to look at a climactic scene in the story of David. But this story isn't about David, it's about Saul. And it's about him chasing one bad idea after another to the point where he reaches a climax of sin that is utterly unexcusable. And he does this because he's so wrapped up in selfishness and he's so wrapped up in what he wants that he doesn't have the sight or the understanding to see that this is a bad idea. He throws caution to the wind and he makes bad decisions, and he lies to himself about it, and he tries to really pull one over on God. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 28, and we're going to be looking at the chapter, but we're not going to look at every verse. We're going to actually start with verse 3, and read a couple of verses there, and then skip down. Now Samuel, who was Samuel? The prophet... Samuel was the prophet who had been the one that was guiding Saul. When Saul was disobedient, God sent Samuel to anoint a new king, and that person was David. David was still a shepherd boy at the time. Samuel was the prophet that was the one that led Saul, anointed him, and then led David into his anointing. Now Saul, uh, Samuel is, is dead. Now he died a while back, and we didn't really go over that in this story, but he died a while back. And it says that all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. So some of you are like, what's a necromancer? It's someone who speaks to the dead, all right, to ghosts or to spirits. And so at one point, Saul had cleaned house of all these folks. At one point, when Saul was pursuing God, he had rid the whole nation of these folks and had said, look, if we catch you doing this, you're going to be in trouble. That's the background. Verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came and camped at Shanum. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. Now, what's interesting about this is that what sits in between these two high places in Israel is the Jezreel Valley. Now, we don't have time to go into all the significance of the Jezreel Valley, but let's just say it's extremely significant in the history of Israel. It even shows up in end times theology. We don't have time to cover all of that. We don't have time to cover the significance of that. Just understand, this is a significant 
piece of territory. And it happens to be one of the most fertile valleys in all of Israel. So this is prime land. It is land that is important for the people of Israel, and the Philistines are coming to take it from them. This is a significant battle. Maybe the most significant battle that they've ever faced. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, verse 5, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Now, does someone have a different translation than Urim? What does theirs say? What do you have? No? Does anybody know what this is? Because this is an unusual idea for for us. No, that's something else, but that's a good but that is that's a close word. Yes, you're not far off. That's why this is a weird word because it, it's connected to other things, but it is a st- so the reason why it sounds is that this has to do with stones. It's kind of like casting stones to get a yes or no answer. It's like casting lots, but they think it was with stones. Or at least in some areas of the Middle East, it was stones at this time. And so what they would do is they would ask the Lord, and if there wasn't a prophet there or a priest there, they would ask the Lord and cast these stones to try to get an answer. Well, he couldn't get an answer by dreams, by Urim, or by prophets. He didn't know who to turn to. Now, what's the problem with this? There's a fourth group of people that he could have gone to, the priests. But what happened to the priests? He killed them all, right? So this guy has killed all the priests. And so now he's in trouble, and he's like, okay, I don't know what to do. I've killed all the priests. The prophets won't give me an answer, the few that are left. And by the way, the prophets that are left at this time, because Samuel's the only real prophet, are just yes men. They're just people telling him what he wants to hear, right? And so they're not really prophets. They're prophets by name only. So he's trying to seek an answer. What do I do? But he gets no answer. Then he says, seek out for me a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. So, Saul disguises himself. His guys say, hey, we know where this lady is in Endor. So here's the crazy thing about where they go. They have to go right past by the valley of Jezreel over the shoulder of the, the, uh, the high place where the Philistines are. He's coming within not very far, less than a mile of where his enemies are, covered at night to go and get the answer from this necromancer, this lady who speaks to the, to the dead. <clears throat> and he says to her, will you divine for me a spirit? And she basically says, we're not going to read all this. She basically says, hey, uh, are you trying to get me in trouble here? Are you going to kill me or something? Because if I do this, you know, uh, King Saul's going to kill me. <clears throat> and he's like, no, no, I promise that's not going to happen. He's disguised. She doesn't know who it is yet. No, I promise this isn't going to happen. You're okay. Just tell me. I need to, I need to, uh, to f- figure this out. And so she goes into whatever it is she does. And in verse 14, I'm sorry, in verse 13, she says, I see a God coming up out of the earth. Now, 
That's a correct translation, but it's not an accurate translation. Um, and I know that sounds like it's contradicting itself. It can be an accurate translation without being a good translation. So, it literally says, I see a, it, it says, I see a gods. There's multiple coming out of the earth. But this word for gods can also mean spirits. So, she's saying that she sees spirits coming out of the earth when she goes into this whatever it is she's doing. And then she says, and I see a man in his appearance, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. He had asked that she speaks to, to speak to Samuel. She brings up this spirit or these spirits and Samuel shows up wrapped in a robe. Now a robe was his normal attire. So that's how he knew that it was Samuel. And then it gets really weird, verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. So this very guy that he kind of put on the fringe of any kind of impact on his life, this very guy that he, he marginalized and refused to listen to is the one he's going to now. Now that would be okay if he were still alive, but he's not. Now what's really interesting about this is in his original sin, Saul's original sin, he disobeyed God in what he told him to do. And when Samuel called him on it, Samuel said, what you did was as bad as going to a necromancer. How crazy is that? So Samuel, when he confronted Saul with his original sin of not obeying God, he said, by you not obeying God, you're doing the exact same thing as seeking guidance from the dead. Because if you're making your decisions, you're a dead man, and you might as well be consulting the dead. So, your sin of disobedience is just as bad as the worst sin that we can think of, which is going to someone who speaks to the dead. He does the very thing that is considered to be worse than what he did originally. He chases one bad idea after another. He is so desperate and so longing, he throws caution to the wind, and he, the very thing that he outlawed in his land, he goes and does. He is so desperate to cling to power. He is so desperate to figure out his next move. He's so desperate to avoid what's coming. And he's willing to lie about it. To lie to his people, to lie to himself, and to really lie to God. He's so tunnel visioned that he misses the irony in what he's doing. He misses the 
utter brokenness in what he's doing. But guys, we do the same thing. When we pursue tunnel vision, our own desires, we do the same thing. When we consult anybody else but God, we're doing the same thing. What we're doing is we're inviting ourselves or inviting someone else to be the one that rules us and controls us. We're inviting our culture and we're inviting uh, someone else's opinion and someone else's ideas to guide us instead of, instead of God. And all of us are guilty of this at times. And so we are like Saul. The question is, I think for us, are we willing to realize it and, and not lie to ourselves about it? The message just gets worse. Verse 16, And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since Yahweh has turned from you and become your enemy? Yahweh has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey his voice, the voice of the Lord, and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Now, by the way, as a side, who did carry out vengeance against Amalek last week? David, not necessarily led by God, but just doing what he knew to do, he went and did the very thing that Saul refused to do. Therefore, Yahweh has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord Yahweh will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Samuel is saying, get ready. In 24 hours, you and your sons are dying. And because of your disobedience, Israel is going to come under the subjugation of the Philistines. He had one job. He had one job when he's anointed king. Obey God and destroy the Philistines. That was it. And the two were two sides of the same coin. You obey me, and I'm going to lead you to destroy the Philistines because they're evil people. Let me lead you, and you will destroy the Philistines. He didn't listen to God. He didn't kill the Philistines. And so he is about to lose everything to them. All because he decided to take matters in his own hands. All because he decided that his thoughts and his ideas were better than God's because he didn't take the right necessary steps to align himself and to be obedient to God. It's all falling apart on him. Everything. And not only is it falling apart, but everybody's going to be impacted by it, which is part of this, right? When we're disobedient, when we don't do the things that God's called us to do, it's not just us that are impacted by that. If I make a bad decision in my house, everybody is impacted in my house by that bad decision. When I decided it was a good idea to ride down the stairs on a mattress, that was a bad decision. And it was a bad decision that ended up impacting my whole house. And quite 
literally impacting a plate. There is no sin that is private. Now, there are sins that we hold private, but there's no disobedience that doesn't leak out and impact someone else. It just doesn't. And so we see from Saul's story that his disobedience has led not only to his destruction, but the destruction of his sons, and the people of Israel are going to be given over to the Philistines. But not only that, the kingdom's going to go to David. In verse 17, he says this. I had skipped over this, but he says, I'm going to give your kingdom out of your hand and give it to your neighbor, David. This word neighbor here is an interesting word in the original language. It can mean neighbor, but more accurately, it means your attendant, your friend, your countryman. It's kind of like the whole, it's, it's kind of like the whole uh, esprit de corps, the, the spirit of the group. It's, it's you're a part of something bigger. So if you've ever been a part of a team, you know that there's this, that there's, you're connected in a different way than if you're just a friend, right? Uh, teams function differently. And so this word kind of picks up this idea of team. I'm going to give your kingdom to your teammate, whom, by the way, you've tried to kill a number of times. Verse 20, then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had not eaten anything all day or all night. He was undone. Completely undone. He was shattered like that plate. Because he chased one bad idea with another, and it progressively got worse till he ends up doing the very thing that he outlawed, the very thing that he knew was the worst thing to do. Pursue the voice of another spiritualist over the voice of God. He became an adulterer spiritually. I'm turning my back on the God of Israel and I'm relying on a spiritist. Now, I would guess that none of you in here would say, I'm going to turn my back on God and I'm going to start pursuing another God. I mean, none of us cognitively say, or at least I wouldn't think you would, you know what? I think it'd be a great idea to now start worshiping an idol that I'm going to put up in my house. But the problem is, we do. Just not that blatantly. And any time that we chase the bad idea after another, any time that we lie to ourselves and we lie to, to God about what we're doing, any time we choose our own way versus what God's trying to lead us into, we are doing the same thing. We're listening to another voice. Guys, I understand it's hard and laborious. I understand that it's difficult to live in this flow of letting the Spirit guide you. I get it. I do. I do. But we are called to pursue Him. David doesn't always get it right. We're not going to always get it right. 
but it doesn't mean we abandon this pursuit of God. Which is exactly what Saul did. When Saul didn't get the quick answer, he tried to manufacture it himself. I don't know what mattress you're getting ready to sit on and what staircase you're getting ready to slide down. But is it the right one? Or are you chasing bad ideas? We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.